Real Nerds is a proud partner of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. Hello, everybody. I'm J.D. Lopez, the host of Left Hand Right Brain. It's a free-flowing, wide-ranging conversation that I have with artists doing interesting and creative things here in Denver and beyond. We talk about their personal stories, break down their creative process, and what motivates them. Spoiler alert, it's mostly spite. We talk about all these things and more while kicking back, cracking wise, and always having a good time. You can find old episodes and everything you need to know at lefthandrightbrainpod.com. Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy. At Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there will be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. You can also call us, 720-6-NERDS-5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Georges Genty, and you are listening to Real Nerds Podcast. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2019 and beyond. I am your host today, Brad Haig, with Zach Eastman. And this week we saw Bohemian Rhapsody. Ooh. Um, yeah, we did. <laughs> Every week we go see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. Um, so look for that review at the end of the show. Um, Spoilers, history happened. <laughs> but we will talk about how the film plays out. Yeah, so. if you want to find out how Freddie, Mercury lives, Freddie Mercury's life turned out, hey, stay hey, tuned to the end of the show. Forget that. If you want to know how the band Queen That's true. gets through things, but we'll talk about that later. Um, what, we, what else do we do on the show? Uh, we talk about movie news, uh, Blu-ray releases, what we've been watching, um, what's going on around town, um, and we sometimes read fan mail. But uh, anything new going on with you since we last... Me? No, um, no, but um, I, uh, I, I just recently realized. Um, so, <laughs> to to preface this, um, I've been working on losing weight, and part of it is so I work at a warehouse, um, uh, uh, in a thrift store, and I do the furniture department and donations. And in order to do that job, you have to be physically active eight hours a day. So I've started wearing a twenty pound vest on myself. <laughs> in an encouragement to build resistance and hopefully lose some weight throughout my shift when I can't go to the gym. Um, I did not realize how much taller I could be if I uh, arched my back up straight as opposed to slouching like the dork that I've been for years. So I stand tall now. <laughs> no, podcasting definitely, definitely doesn't help with slouching. I, I can test to that. Yeah, but it's only two hours compared to the... <laughs> uh, sometimes it's five. Yeah, so this is the, this is the most relaxing time of my life because then the rest of the time I have to stand up straight and be a quote unquote man. <laughs> yeah, I can never remember to like sit up straight. Like every time I do, five minutes later I'm hunched down again. And so you slouch over when you're doing editing and stuff. Oh, so much. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, that was an issue when I was first in film school. Like you know, just hunched over it, going like, "I gotta get it finished before the before the end of the semester." <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, uh, nothing too new. Oh, except uh, the youngest real nerd, um, Mattis Kolhowska, turned one yesterday. So, right. happy birthday, nephew! I hope you're doing well. 
I hope you ate plenty of cake. Actually, I know he ate plenty of cake because his grandmother on his mother on his father's side posted a picture of him with cake all over his feet, face, and body. So clearly, he dove into the cake. Does he listen to the show? He will years later. <laughs> I mean, the biggest question he's going to ask is why is James always so angry? But <laughs> true. Um, yeah. Speaking of, uh, so it's just me and Zach this week. Uh, Ryan, of course, is uh, celebrating his wife's birthday. So, oh yeah, happy birthday, Laura, who doesn't listen to the show. But... <laughs> yeah, who hates the show? Um, and then, uh, yeah, James is taking care of his wife. So, <laughs> do you think Laura just has a picture of us on a wall and she throws darts at it? <laughs> yeah, just X's through our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Ryan, it says do not hit. <laughs> Every time Ryan drives down here, it's it's just the, another risk she has to take of him not coming home. Yeah. So not not from his like regular day job, but just like you know, we we live in Colorado. Avalanches happened all the time. Yeah. I mean, Why do you just, think they call it Boulder, Colorado? Huh? Just driving from the mountains down to Highlands Ranch or Lone Tree or whatever. Um, that is way more dangerous than being a cop. Oh yeah, no, I agree. So just that that hour drive, and you have to worry about happen. and you have to worry about Stanley Kubrick's camera coming in, looking at you, going. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, I, I want to watch The Shining again. <laughs> ah, okay, I can get that reference. <laughs> yeah, um, cool. But, yeah, let's. Uh, I guess we'll start with some fan mail. It's like a fan mail segment. I, I think this is a. I think it's a uh, a regular occurring segment at this point. Yeah. So yeah, this segment is Catching the Classics with Corinne, and this week, um, she has a new movie. Hey, nerds. To recap, I'm watching popular movies I've never seen before. This week, you guys picked Unforgiven. <sighs> Good choice, Corinne. Going into this movie, I didn't know anything about it other than some of the cast members, Eastwood, Hackman, and Freeman, mm-hmm. and that it was a Western, and that Eastwood, Eastwood won his first directing Oscar for it. About damn time. I do want to say really quickly, I was raised on westerns. More of the John Wayne westerns than Clint Eastwood ones, but I'm no stranger to the story of the gunslinger. Wayne's a pussy. <laughs> Revenge, outlaws, and general make-your-own-way attitude of the Old West. Mm-hmm. I was going to say make-your-day attitude. <laughs> no, that's another why. franchise. <laughs> Get to the point, Brad. Um... I'm having too much fun with myself on this one. Anyway, keep going. But after watching Unforgiven, dot, 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 cycle of violence. So she sent a follow-up email that said, um, add cycle of violence to the end. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure where, <laughs> what end that applies to. Mm. So I'll just keep adding it and see where it fits. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can already take a guess if it's like, well, I know what she's saying. But anyway, keep going. Holy shit. <laughs> It's, it's written out like that. Yeah. I feel simultaneously speechless and and that I could write a, a freaking 3,000-word essay on how well this movie tackles so many themes and aspects. Corinne, don't steal my thunder. <laughs> it, it, yeah. I still got to write that. We actually one. have that article on the side already. Yeah. Well, no, actually we don't. But you, Well, I haven't done Unforgiven yet. I'm sa- I was saving that one for the end, and then the epilogue's going to be Sully and the Mule back-to-back. Um. Masculinity and the the morality and practicality of murder, the role of writers chronicling the West, and the role of women on the frontier. While I won't say much more than that because I'm still processing everything this movie has to offer, I do want to state for the record that I would love to see a prequel to this where Will is an outlaw and then meets Claudia and starts to reform himself. Maybe I'll feel differently in a week or two after I've had a chance to think about it more, but for now I'll say cycle of violence. Mm. <laughs> Unforgiven, five out of five stars. 
I would have given it that rating anyway, but the fact that most of the baddest characters are from Kansas definitely helped. Because Chris from Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> um, for next week, you guys can choose the Green Mile or the English Patient. Thanks. Wow. Uh, tough, Cycle of violence. Tough, tough, tough choice. Uh, I, I would say the one that's great and uh, the one that's not the English Patient. <laughs> anyway, um, but no, um, it's, it's, I mean, she's got a really good grasp on everything. Like, I... I don't. I would not want to see. Uh, obviously, from my end, I would not want to see a prequel where Will uh, and Claudia meet because the whole point of the film isn't even just Clint Eastwood's character; it's also Gene Hackman's character. They're both in positions where they've tried to put violence behind them and are forced back into it in order to clash with each other. The whole impetus behind it is these two people who, like, the whole point of Gene Hackman's character is he just wants to build his fucking house. Um, in that movie, and uh, consequently, also uh, Clint Eastwood just wants to live on his ranch. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to avenge jack shit. Um, but his both their codes motivate them to face off against each other in various different ways, and like there's casualties in the way as a result. It's about the. It's a film ultimately about like the, the hindrance and the 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 horrible price of violence and vengeance. Um, and it's certainly one of Clint's best films. Um. I'll have plenty of to say about it when I do write that article, which this week I am getting back on that train because if I can time it out just right, I will finish that series before the end of the year. Uh, speaking of the website, um, all the Denver Comic Con 2018 interviews are posted on the website. Yes. Um, so go seek those out. There's a middle part of the front page that is just those interviews, so easy to find, hopefully. And many thanks to people who did do interviews who were so patient with us. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, and um, I'm looking to, over Thanksgiving weekend, post them to the feed, RSS feed, so mm-hmm. uh, let's wait a little bit longer, because that takes a lot of coding. Right. But, um, you, but you can still listen to them right now. Yeah, you can so listen yeah. to them through the website, so. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Corinne, I'm going to go with the Green Mile, because I've seen the English Patient, and the Green Mile's awesome. Yeah. So. I mean, English patient's not bad. It's just... I don't know. It's not the Green Mile. I can't vouch for it. Yeah. I mean, if you said English patient and Scarface, I'd say English patient, but... Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Cycle of violence. Thanks, Corinne. <laughs> Cycle of violence. That, that's her segment. That's what her segment's called. Cycle of violence. Yeah, we'll rename your segment. Cycle of violence <laughs> just with a, Corinne. It's just a bicycle that stabs people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess that'll bring us to what's going on around town. Brad, what is going around town? Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. Uh, so the drive-in season's over, so I'll probably mm. only be talking about the Midnight's at the Esquire from now on. And this uh, weekend, uh, the 8th and 9th, mm-hmm. Saturday and Sunday, is um, uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I'll, I'll go if y'all agree to shut the fuck up. Not going to happen. Damn it. Does not happen anywhere anymore, apparently. Mm, yeah. Based on my experience this week. Is the only way you can watch Scott Pilgrim in peace in the theater is if you have to put up with people talking to the rest. I, I mean, I, I love the enthusiasm, but. Uh. Um, and then uh, that I forgot to mention last week that the uh, Denver Film Festival is actually happening uh, currently through, I don't know, two weeks from now. Probably the next episode. Yeah, probably through the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's screenings all day. Uh, go to denverfilm.org is easier than me explaining everything. Remember, not denverflim.org. <laughs> denverfilm.org. Uh, and, yeah, they uh, they have screenings of 
big movies that haven't been released yet at the Ellie Calkins Opera House. Those are more expensive, obviously. And then they have at the C Film Center itself, you know, um, you know, something from noon to late at night. Uh, Those newer films aren't that expensive, though. I think like the cheapest ones, like about forty five, right? Mine was thirty. That's there expensive. Yeah, <laughs> for most people. Yeah, yeah, for no, one I... movie with no bells and whistles. I guess so. Um, and then uh, actually, they're also advertising like if if you have time to go to, for a weekday screening, you can get five dollar tickets to some of those. Mm. Um, depending on the time, I guess. Uh, so take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, support the Denver Film Festival. They are a wonderful festival. Yeah, and they have a VR building, the McNichols Building. They're doing VR stuff, so <laughs> with movies to so go check that out. Can I can I put myself in any virtual world that I want to? I don't know. Probably. I put I put one. I put myself in one where we still do the podcast, but cats rule the world. I like it. Yeah, I know. Perfect. Not sure why, but perfect. Been missing my cat lately. Anyway. Uh, um. Yeah, and um, I think that's it for All now. Right. Cool. Um, there's an EFP in the third Thursday of every month, so I I'll talk about that next week, I guess. I think isn't there one event at the Bug Theater, a uh, a somewhat uh, ending event of so- of sorts? Yeah, the last open screen night is this month's uh, the twenty seventh. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll talk about my talk about more about it on uh, future episodes, but uh, get those final videos ready because. Uh, this will be the last time to submit them to open screen night. The end of the show will be a, t- a huge orgy, so uh, be sure no. to come on down. <laughs> a bonfire, actually. Oh, <laughs> burn the show to the ground. Yeah, no one, nobody takes my suggestions. <laughs> um, that's what we've been doing wrong all these years. No, the <laughs> no <shows> orgies. orgies. <laughs> I guess they would have survived. Um, Wait, so that's why Scott Pilgrim didn't do well at the box office in 2010. No orgies. Every movie that's bombed, like, just should add an orgy. Yeah, Ishtar, no orgies. <laughs> yeah, First Man, need an orgy. Heaven's um, Gate, no orgies. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Hurt Locker, no orgies, but still won an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool, right on. That's what's going on around town. Yeah, I guess we'll do some news. Sweet. It's real news. Brad, did you want a sequel to Gladiator? Not really. I think we said all we needed to say with the first one, right? Yeah. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter because Ridley Scott's going to make another one, apparently. Um, And it's apparently going to deal with the uh, nephew of Joaquin Phoenix's character from the first film. So I don't know what's he going to do. Take Russell Russell Crowe's corpse out of the ground and just start stabbing it? (laughs) So, Maximus's son, basically. No, no, Joaquin Phoenix's character. Um, his nephew, which would be... Oh, yeah, Maximus wasn't his brother. Um, Ma- no, uh, Russell Crowe was Maximus Aurelius. Right. Joaquin Phoenix was the... The the Emperor's son. Son. Yeah. But we didn't... That movie didn't tell us he had a Commodo- brother. Commodus. 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 Um, it says that Lucius is the son of Lucilla from Connie Nielsen's character. So, a brother from... A- from this different father. She's in the movie. You you saw her. She's the she's the gal that's kind of flirting with Russell Crowe. Yeah, that's his sister. That's his sister. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know, Ridley. Can you find a way to put Russell Crowe's ghost in there? <laughs> that's all I want. Um, but yeah, apparently, and DreamWorks isn't working on it. Uh, it's a Paramount, and I think Universal are going to like co-distribute or something like that. Uh, so yeah. Um, 
so I don't know if we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I guess Deadpool two is going to be re-released uh, in December as a PG 13 film. And uh, the, the news that broke this week was they filmed new scenes for two months uh, or for, filmed new scenes two months ago for that PG 13 re-release. Um, and the, the, I mean, the news just kind of goes into like what they did in order to like, like who returned for those reshoots who didn't and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think we. I don't think you need that. I mean, is it just? Is it just because it didn't make as much as the first one? <laughs> I guess so. Um, okay, that's dumb. <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's. I, I guess you can. They can try whatever they want. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll go see it. I'll, I'll see what's different. But oh, I'm definitely curious. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of similar to when uh, the like the 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 dreaded Weinstein company tried to uh, re-release uh, the King's Speech as a PG-13 movie. Uh, for uh, for to boost its box office and then also push further for the Oscar, which it didn't need because all the strong arming that that company does anyway was going to get it that Oscar that it didn't deserve. Uh, even though it's a fine movie, maybe they're just testing out to see like what the actual difference is revenue wise between releasing a PG thirteen and an R. Yeah, because I'm sure that's always the conversation in any uh you know movie studio head meeting of like when they're deciding you know what can you get away with on set. You know, and they've argued R R R has been successful for Deadpool, but I'm sure they're thinking like, well, if it didn't have that, would it be doing any better? Well, I saw the G-rated version of A Star Is Born, and it was uh, it was just fantastic. <laughs> we need that data. We yeah. only respond to data. Instead so. instead of drinking alcohol and popping pills, Bradley Cooper just sniffs too much cotton candy. Yeah, um, still dies at the end, but. <laughs> It's the same fucking story. <laughs> Some of us have never watched any Star Wars Borns, so now I have less incentive to watch it. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry that I ruined your chances of seeing. Was the that Star Warner Brothers? Yeah, yeah, Warner Brothers. Blame Zach. <laughs> yeah, you Bradley. Just, you Coop- lost a ticket, Bradley Cooper. I'm sorry, but if you don't win an Oscar, it's my fault. <laughs> um. He's good in the movie, though. I do hope he wins some form of recognition for that film. Uh, we got another photo of Rambo uh, for Rambo 5, which, according to the plot synopsis, is still called Rambo 5 Last Blood. Makes sense. Yeah, So, um, but the the cowboy outfit makes sense now with this plot synopsis. Uh, living on a ranch with intense PTSD, like you do with Rambo. Um, and then a friend of his has a daughter who's kidnapped um, in Mexico uh, and put into the slave trade, and so... Uh, it's basically taken with Rambo, and that sounds fine. I sure this series has come a long way from just a man trying to find peace after war, which is a, it's a great film. I love it, and the others are fine. Um, this is an interesting one, and I don't know how to like the the whole thing doesn't really make sense to me. But like, did you read that Twentieth uh, Century Fox is trying to predict? Um, uh, your your reactions to stuff with an AI infused in the trailer. <laughs> no. Yeah, this just came out. Um, I guess they they break it down into segments of like what the AI is supposed to read responses to different images, uh, and your reaction to them, and then like Slash Film put an article up this, and they did a great job of l- spreading it out and laying it out. But I can't make head nor tail of it for the life of me. I guess they're trying to utilize it to figure out like, okay, well, what do you cut from a film or how do you market a film? And like, who's the audience for this film? And, uh, I guess they've been doing this a little bit for a while on several different films, trailers, and like, it doesn't always get the data right. So it's still a, an early system. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. I would go to slash film, um, 
and uh, read their article on it because they they laid it out pretty good. Uh, don't don't please don't rely on me on this one. <laughs> uh, what you can rely on me for is that uh, Avatar uh, has finally got sequel titles, <laughs> um, and they're sure they they make sense for the universe. Uh, the first one's called Avatar: The Way of Water. The second one's Avatar: The Seed Bearer. Uh, Avatar: The Tolkien Rider. And Avatar: The Quest for Awa. Um, Seed Bearer is the one I'm interested in because it sounds the dirtiest. Um, uh, I wonder if that one's just gonna be a full out porn. I wonder if James Cameron's just gonna be like, "Fucking, what are you gonna do? <laughs> it's still gonna make two hundred billion dollars." Three D, three D cat porno. Ooh, god! That you're just gonna have every like everyone will go. Because <laughs> even if even if it's not the just the dirty people, it's still gonna be the people going like, "I gotta know." <laughs> um, but yeah, um, cool. Well, um, and BBC News reported it, but. You know, that's cool if you got four titles. Um, can I see four trailers? So, um, and uh, the last piece of news, which I thought was kind of cool, um, the director of It, uh, the most recent iteration of It, uh, is going to be adapting H.G. Wells' classic film or story, The Time Machine. Mm. Um, Appian Way is producing, which is Leo DiCaprio's company. Um and I guess you know Warner Brothers and uh, Paramount are working together on it, um, which is a similar deal they did with Interstellar and um, Christopher Nolan. So, uh, yeah, um, especially after seeing it and uh, Mama, um, I think he could do the time machine easily. Like, it doesn't seem like too much of a stretch. Hey, if his wife's death is as funny as it was the last time they did this, <laughs> then I'm in. That was, that was, yeah. Funny that you mentioned the last time they made this movie. <laughs> Um, yeah, what was his name? Uh, Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce, yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the executive producers on that film is attached to executive produce this new one, so <laughs> maybe maybe it will be as hilarious. It's like twenty years later, I'll get it right. Uh, that's actually the first Time Machine movie uh, adaptation ish I ever saw was uh, that Guy Pierce one. I didn't understand a damn bit of it, but I was nine, so yeah, it was weird. I was trying to. I, I mean, because I now, in fairness, I hadn't read the book before seeing that movie. Me neither. So I was like, "What the fuck are mole people doing in this damn thing?" I've since read the book now, and it makes sense. But um, you know, um, anyway, uh, unless I missed anything, that's news. Uh, I've got DVDs. Unless you, I've got Blu-rays. But if you want to uh, do, do them, you can too. I can track anything you missed because you'll miss something. I know it. This is DVDs and Blu-rays in 4K. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Uh, I guess the main uh, standout one this week is uh, Black Klansman. Yeah, 4K and Blu-ray. But that's not the only standout. Uh, Incredibles 2 on uh, Blu-ray and 4K. I didn't say it was the only one. <laughs> I said it was one. Yeah. But no, yeah, Black Klansman. Um, yeah, I'm going to definitely be picking it up this week. I believe you will. Oh, yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, Incredibles 2. Oh, <laughs> Sensitive touchscreens, man. Uh, there's a five-movie collection of Transformers on 4K. Cool. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, Air Force One has a 4K. Get off my plane in 4K. I don't like that they changed the font, but Oh, yeah, whatever. that is weird font. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure what was wrong with the one before. I guess if it has serifs, it seemed too old. Gotta gotta attract those kids. They couldn't get the rights to Sansa. <laughs> Harrison Ford's giant face isn't enough. Uh, Sherlock season one has a 4K uh, Blu-ray. I don't know if that needs it. Uh, I th- 
It's, or maybe it doesn't. Sean HD, it could, it could, it could use it. Um, I just wish it was a complete set instead of releasing it as a single season. But I was so ready to buy the Blu-ray set, and now I have to buy it in 4K, and that's gonna be more money. Uh, Sleepwalkers from Shout Factory, I'm guessing. Yeah, collector's edition. Screen Factory, but yeah, Screen Factory. Uh, the Shield has a complete series Blu-ray. Okay. Chickless. Um, <laughs> Chickless. <laughs> um, Papillon, the 2018, with uh, star of today's movie Rami Malek. And I, that's about it for, yeah. Oh, you've missed a couple, bud. I missed some Criterions, but the story of Kika Matsu, I'm sure no one listening knows about. Uh, except it's number one fan, I'm sure. Um, no, but uh, Superman the movie is also getting a 4K release. The original 1970s version. Oh, okay. The Richard Donner one. Um, but we also get the uh, three-disc uh, three disc 4K uh, scan of The Thing, which is in a steelbook from Scream Factory. Um the producers, the 2005 version, was finally coming to Blu-ray, um, along with a couple other Universal titles. Uh, and this one I found interesting. I don't know all the details on it, but uh, Grindhouse is getting a steelbook. Yeah, I saw that. It's it, I don't know if it's actually true because I can't find it online to buy early. Maybe it's just an elaborate joke. Yeah. I don't know. I want to confirm that uh, no no form of Weinstein's family getting any of that money. It might be a regional thing because, uh, you know, just not America. That's why I can't get it. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was America. <laughs> well, the internet doesn't ex- exclude itself from the rest of the world. So. Well, that's true. I forgot about that. I yeah, I also see a, a Sound of Music live. Oh, that's the new one. Never mind. No, yeah, 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 no, no. Just, you don't need to worry about that. Um, also, it keeps saying Christopher Robbins coming out, and I'm like, I don't, I haven't seen it in the stores yet. So, you guys, t- Blu-ray.com, tell me what's wrong here, guys. You're one of the most top visited sites in the world. Oh yeah, I was looking at the Target ad this week. Uh, Stranger Things season two is apparently are, getting released this week, and it's not on this list. So are they going to do? Did it say anything about them doing that cool VHS looking thing like they did the first time? It's even more eightiesified. Ooh, Let's see if I can bring it up. Dang, that's the one thing. Like I, I mean, I, I need to get it just so I can have it because in case Netflix decides to go boom. <laughs> uh, we may talk about another uh, thing that they put out where I'm like, if they don't give me physical media of this at some point, I will scream. Um, I-, I like how this time they're actually doing the 4K and the Blu-ray release on the same day, whereas mm-hmm. last time I ended up buying both because of that. Well, was the 4K uh, of the first stra- season of Stranger Things um, not available at the time because it came up before? They re- they did the regular Blu-ray, and I was like, sweet, this is awesome. And then I think a month later, at, or the week of Black Friday, put the 4k in stores and it's like a different a slightly different package so rantos want your money and i was like ah and i'll tell you this to start with and uh, again to prelude to another discussion soon he may just well get it <laughs> yeah uh yeah luckily this time and it's also a lot cheaper too i think i paid like 40 bucks the first time around and that's only like 29 for the 4k that's not bad um so that's all i got cool yeah that's all i got so I guess that takes us to what we've been watching. Cool. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Zach, what have you been watching? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, after uh, we were done recording, um, I started... Um, this isn't a, a watching thing, but it's still media-related. Uh, I, I listened to an audiobook of a new book called uh, Anything You Can Imagine, Peter Jackson and the Making of the Lord of the Rings Movies. Um, and it's a extensive 22 hour listen about the making of those films. Um, now if you've seen the appendices on the Blu-rays and stuff for the Lord of the Rings, you think you've heard every story, but 
the truth is this goes into also some of the down and dirty details of how that movie was like going through rights issues left and right. Holy crap, that does look awesome. Oh, sorry, guys. We're looking at the Stranger Two Things season two, um, uh, 4K uh, box art, and it looks fantastic. Yeah, sorry to derail that. Uh, so the Blu-ray is. It looks like those old Warner Brothers like yeah VHS cases from the seven, and then the 4K is like like has stickers and stuff. Actually, they both have stickers on it. Like, <laughs> um, but the 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 VHS tape. So the the. When you unfold it, the Blu-ray has like a black VHS tape uh-huh. that holds the discs. Right. It's a cardboard. It's not actually a plastic tape. Boo. Uh, but the <laughs> 4K one has a red one. Um, Ooh. I was trying to enlarge it, but I can't. But yeah, it's... No, I can see it fine. Yeah. No, that's that's fucking sweet, yeah. dude. Yeah. I can't wait to pick that up. Uh, but I'm also worried that like they also went cheaper on Black Friday last time around. So like I don't want to hold out and then them not be available. <laughs> Well, I'm taking black. I'm taking the weekend after the three days after Thanksgiving off, so you and I can go and scour every store in the world. Yeah, it's even got like a Hawkins video store like label on it. Which is great. Oh God! Ah, love it. Good yeah. job. I'm not even the world's biggest Stranger Things fan, and I fucking want that. Now do Glow. <laughs> I want. I want you to do Glow seasons one and two like this. Is amazing. That'd be fucking awesome. I want to meet whoever made these. Make it look like. Um, wrestling video uh typography like just like the way they would put out those like best of collections and stuff like that yeah oh yeah that'd be, oh, great. That'd be fucking sweet um so yeah what was i talking about <laughs> uh, uh oh lord of the rings no, um it's peter jackson yeah so peter jackson thing. uh but this book is fucking amazing it's um it's it, like i said it's peter jackson and the making of lord of the rings anything you can imagine um but that that book talks a lot about the lord of the rings as a con as a as a book story and whatnot trying to get made into a film. Um, and surprise, surprise, I'm sure every fan knows this in the world, but the Weinsteins were attached at one point to this project with Peter Jackson, and they have executive producer credits at the end of each of those first three films. There's a lot more stuff that I didn't even know, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people weren't even s- clearly aware of because, of course, they're not going to talk about it on the Blu-ray uh, appendices back then. Um Oddly enough, as the extras have dwindled, I think they've actually gotten more honest. Um, so, but there's a lot of stuff that happened in that deal because originally it was going to be two films back to back. It wasn't even going to be the three. Uh, but Harvey was down for it, I guess, but Bob didn't understand what the fuck Lord of the Rings was. He kept trying to compare it to the guns of Navarone, which is strange. Uh, and then it got put down to, uh, one film. And then Peter Jackson's agent made a deal with Harvey. A frustrated Harvey because they were about to pull the plug or give it to John Madden, the director of Shakespeare in Love, as a, a one movie thing. So Harvey, in a draconian effort to say you'll never get the right, said, fine, you've got four weeks to find a new uh, person to produce this film. But I get five percent of um, gross uh, pre gross payment. I get my investment of $4 million for R&D back uh, upon signing a contract of switching over the ownership, and we get credit. And then that's when they went to New Line with Mark Rodesky and Barb Shea and made the deal that made New Line history. Um, so, But if you see the EP credit, Bob and Harvey Weinstein on Lord of the Rings for Eternity, it's because of that fucking deal. Um, that explains a lot of how they were able to keep some things afloat because I'm sure they made a shit ton of money from the box office receipts on that film. Um, <clears throat> so it's pretty fascinating. Um, but they also talk about 
the production of the film and stuff. So it got me jazzed to rewatch Lord of the Rings. So I went through the extended edition trilogy in the course of a single day, which I had never done before. Um, and I was tired afterwards. Um, but still an amazing trilogy of films. Um, I hadn't really like sat with them on in HD for a while and they look fucking fantastic. Like every, every, there are only a few things that probably don't hold up in terms of the CG, but uh, I mean, and there, some of them are unfortunately Gollum, but that's but it's not super noticeable. Like it doesn't like detract you from the experience of watching them. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so I I did that, um, and then I uh, I watched uh, the a new Netflix film called The Other Side of the Wind, uh, which is the final film of uh, Orson Welles, noted dead man. Um, he's a he's a fucking voodoo wizard who was able to direct his movie again from the dead. I don't get it. Um, no, uh, but, uh, so this, the other side of the wind is, um, a movie about a director who's making a movie that's in production delays and, uh, about a party to try to show that footage to people to probably get more money. And it, basically it's about the last days of the director of that film. The, like it, and it all takes place in this big party. Um, they well Wells decided to shoot it in two formats: the party section and the stuff about the director is shot documentary style in like sixteen millimeter, eight millimeter, like to various forms of documentary filmmaking at the time, like anything that's got a portable camera. And then the film that the director in the movie is making is shot in full thirty-five millimeter film. So, um, it stars John Huston as the director. Um, John Huston, the man who made the Maltese Falcon, Treasure of Sierra Madre, Man Who Be King. And it stars Peter Bogdanovich as his young ward slash mentor who he kind of constantly clashes with um, over the fact that Bogdanovich's character is more successful than Houston's character um, at the current moment. Um, so it's almost like Wells's and Bogdanovich's actual relationship. The film itself as completed is actually very amazing. Um, it's pretty revolutionary for Wells. Um, I mean, obviously he's dead, but if this was his, if this film was released as intended, like he got everything finished and everything, this could have gotten him back somewhere. Um, it's a, uh, it's a unique and brave film in the regards of, calling out certain certain elements of the filmmaking business before it was kind of hip to do that. Um, it's very unapologetically frustrated with the way Hollywood works in any given changing atmosphere where the artist is given less uh, freedom to move around in. Um, <clears throat> or just the fact of Studios claim they want to work with artistic integrity, but they don't want to give the money to do it and whatnot, so they actually kind of play on a weird double standard. Ultimately, the film has a lot of things moving in it that kind of create an interesting visual artistic essay about what it means to be in this crazy business. Um, I love Citizen Kane and uh, Magnificent Ambersons and... Uh, Lady from Shanghai, Touch of Evil, all that stuff that Wells did. Uh, I just bought Chimes at Midnight and, on Criterion. I can't wait to rewatch it. I think this movie that he wasn't able to complete that had to be recreated by uh, Frank Marshall and a, another director might be the best film he ever made. 
because it's the one you wouldn't expect from him. Um, <clears throat> the documentary footage is actually pretty interesting because he, like, the plan, because this film was reconstructed based on his notes, it's it's edited at a very interesting avant-garde, fast-paced motion while still keeping the story intact. It suggests that he was really interested in the editing room, above all else, at that point in his life. Um, and the 35 millimeter stuff he's shooting is a straight-up parody of the art house uh, slow burn cinema movement, which was popular in the 60s and stuff when he was still in exile in Europe. So it's almost like he's kind of poking a bunch of bears with the same stick. And it's because it's Wells, you know that he's just kind of like, he's got a certain sense of humor about him where I'm like, you know, this seems offensive to maybe some form of cinema I love, but I also understand where he's coming from. Um, it's a deeply layered and dense film. And I'm I'm going to be going to see it again at the Alamo Drafthouse Sloan's Lake because thankfully Netflix has given them the opportunity to show it on a big screen, which I think it needs to be seen on a big screen. Um, the only regret that I have on watching it on Netflix is that it wasn't the big screen. So <clears throat> that all being said, I think Netflix needs to suck up a financial bullet and put this out for collectors in a limited run. I don't think you do like a bunch of copies, but do it like Criterion does. Like give it a limited run. And do it paired with the documentary that I saw after that, which is They'll Love Me When I'm Dead, which is about the making of the film and how it all fell apart. And it's from the director of um, Won't You Be My Neighbor. I love Won't You Be My Neighbor. I think this documentary is better. <laughs> Simply because it's talking about... It, 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 it's talking about a lot of things beyond just filmmaking. It's talking about the decay of a person's life. And while Mr. Rogers' is, is uplifting... I. I I don't necessarily find those stories super like, wow, mind blowing, you know, like, I mean, Mr. Rogers like touches my heart, right? You know, this story about Wells and his final film and his final years is heartbreaking and just genuinely move you to tears. So, um, yeah, I would check them out. Um, they're on Netflix right now. Um, and, uh, there's also a 38 little minute documentary thing with the other side of the wind about how they actually got this thing reconstructed and done with Frank Marshall and uh, Danny Houston talking about it. Um, and it's pretty fascinating. So, yeah, that's all I watched this week. Uh, Brad, what did you watch this week? <laughs> Sorry, I just rambled about Orson Welles and his genius. Yeah, take a breath. Um, uh, I rewatched Halloween, the new one. Mm. Um, like it better? Yeah, a little bit better because okay. uh, like uh, a lot of the um, stuff that didn't connect, I, uh, like I thought the, the gravestone for Judith Ma Judith Myers was like an uh, unresolved, like, hey, where, what are you doing with this thing? And it's the stone for his sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was for his mom or something. Um, it's okay. I'm just I'm glad you rewatched it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, sorry, my, my stuff's out of order. Um, I rewatched. Friday the Thirteenth, the two thousand nine version. Oh, the did you watch the killer cut? Uh, yeah, it's weird on Amazon Prime. Mm. There's three or four cuts of this movie. Three uh, or four. Yeah, the the extended. <laughs> there's an extended one, but it says unavailable at the moment. So I think it's just the killer cut with a improper titling. Um, then there's the regular version, right? From the uh, movie. Um, and then uh, there's one other one I forget what it's called, but it just has a different cover. The good one? <laughs> yeah. 
Actually, that's not fair. That movie's that movie's very fair to the style of Jason. Yeah, I haven't seen it since the theater in 2009. Because yeah. um, I, I didn't enjoy it very much back then because I didn't think it like really did anything that warranted its existence. Mm. Uh, yeah. But the <laughs> biggest question I, I, I have is like, I don't understand why Jason keeps that one dude's sister alive underground. I thought it was because he thinks it's his mother or like it's some kind of like mother th- connection dealy. Well, it, it, I'd have to rewatch it. I have not seen this cut in a, or this film in a while. So, well, at one point to escape, she does that whole thing which they've done before in the other movies, where someone pretends to be his mom, right? And he's confused. But I mean, she escaped, and this is the extended or killer cut, yeah. Uh, which I don't remember her escaping twice, and that's what uh, I, I, I do. Yeah. Um. So like she runs to the cabin, and then he captures her, and she runs, like, and then he takes her back and chains her up again after he's clearly killed other people like i don't know what and she also the first time she does get caught she doesn't do anything that like you know he's he's thrown the machete into her friend's forehead and then he turns around on her and then it cuts to the title mm-hmm. um you know she's not mimicking his mother at that point so i don't know why he captures her at that time is it the because she time makes more sense yeah i, I couldn't I, we'd have to ask ryan but i thought it was something of like it looked like his mom or something, like a picture of his mom. I don't know. Well, his mom's not not a visitor in that movie, and I don't know if she looks like. I don't know. I don't know. It's it that yeah. It's the biggest weirdest thing for me because everything else he's like a brutal, and I like. Uh, I think there was some documentary or something that said uh, would have been Chris Blake memories. No, it was something else I watched, but it had a. Uh, I think. Derek Mears, who plays Jason in that one, yeah, talking about how territory, like this this movie, he's he's not really out to just kill. Kids. He's just protective of his space. Mm-hmm. So it's the fact like he he doesn't really go out to seek anyone and hunt them down. It's just everyone comes to him, and so you know he takes offense to that. Like even the pot grower guy, like he's stealing pot plants from the lake, you know, which is his lake. So yeah, um, that's the only guy he actually goes out of town to hunt down. Well, that and Jason's growing that pot because he's got to make some money, man. Um, Twenty bucks, little man. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's some cool stuff like uh, I think after the, he kills the two guys in the in the storage shed, mm-hmm. um, the people inside the house are like looking out the window for him, but he's already on the roof, and it's like this low angle shot of him like with the machete. That's pretty badass. Yeah, um, that's cool. I I got it with a triple feature with the Nightmare remake and uh, Freddy vs. Jason, so I'm going to have to watch it again at some point. Um, and then I watched uh, Friday the 13th Part 4. The final chapter. The final chapter. Not Part 4, the final chapter. I don't care. I know it's the final chapter. I, it's, I, I keep you're, it straight in my head for the fourth one. You're trolling Ryan. <laughs> um, and Which is my favorite of all of them because mm-hmm. uh, it kind of encompasses all the mythology on that, on that one movie. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's funny, uh, I I only noticed it this time, but in the finale when Jason busts into the uh, Tommy Jarvis's cabin, mm-hmm. uh, like obliterates the door, right? Just yeah. by walking through it. Yeah, yeah. And then he throws the hammer at his sister. Yeah. <laughs> I tried. I posted it on Instagram, but the hammer flies into the wall and gets stuck. But if you freeze frame it, because they cut really quickly, if you freeze frame it, the head of the hammer, not the prongs or the head, mm-hmm. the, the actual part you use to hammer things, just the top surface of the hammer is stuck to the wall and it like kind of shifts to the side. <laughs> Clearly it's been on a string and pulled towards the wall. Right? <laughs> so 
I joked around that like when you're so when you're strong as Jason and you can throw a hammer and it just sticks to the wall without actually piercing it. Like they make the plaster crumble when it hits. Yeah. But like it stands up on a surface that it should not be standing up. That's a, that's a testament to to the Blu-ray. Like so you watched it on Blu-ray I'm assuming, right? Or no, HD I, or I actually only have the DVDs of that, so. So you were still able to notice it on the DVD? Yeah. Oh god, cuz that was my issue like I I need to finish up my marathon, but the first 3 films on Blu-ray, like they look fine. But you can see everything. You can yeah. see every goddamn thing. The DVDs, it's uh, it's it's that whole uh, Crystal Lake collection set, right? From like two thousand three or something. So I'm sure they're updated to a degree or restored to a degree or something. But uh, or maybe it's just your TV. <laughs> no, no, there's a lot of dust on the lens, especially three, which I watched recently. Um, because the, the little 3D camera stuff there were more focused yeah, on. Yeah, like, well, I, I've come to the, the science right. I don't think that's going to ever get truly cleaned up. <laughs> but they're about as cleaned up as a DVD could be. I mean, there's still like interlacing lines because it's um, made for interlaced CRT monitors and not flat screens. <laughs> right. Um, so I, 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 I regret not getting that Blu-ray collection because I really want to watch it in pristine, restored version. You know, well, clarity. they have the eight, the the first eight of them on um uh in a collection that I have. Yeah, because the one that Ryan has is now like a two hundred to three hundred dollar collector's item on eBay. I know, but that one has the special features, and that's what I want too. That so. one has special features. What? Yeah. Oh yeah. Each disc or each disc. Yeah. Has like at least a thirty minute documentary, if not more. Right. You're welcome to borrow it. <laughs> um. Because I don't think I'm going to get to it anytime soon this week if I've got a new Criterion to watch. <laughs> All right, check it out then. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it should be still at Best Buy for like 17 bucks or something. I also watched Let Me In. Yeah, the remake. Yep. I have frequently clashed with Ryan and James about how I prefer the Swedish version. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've put my money where <laughs> my mouth is and have seen the remake that they love so much. Mm-hmm. And it's not bad. Um, but I, I just didn't see a lot of like, other than like rearranging some scenes, uh, uh, like even the scene where he invites her in is like, they do it as he, she has to invite him in. Whereas in the Swedish version, the boy has to invite the vampire in. Yeah. Um, so that kind of reversal is like, okay, that's different. But like, what did it really add to this? For me, it I just didn't, didn't mean much to me. It's an attempt to, to separate it out so that it's not a full on. Like shot for shot reconstruction, right? But I mean, like, especially if you're doing an American American version, you got to change it up a little bit, I guess. Uh, but like, just moving stuff around isn't like enough for me to be like, oh, that's why this is. I mean, I don't know. I like, I, I saw this film once. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the point of it is like, oh, we've basically dubbed it in English so people in, in America can enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, like, as someone who enjoys the original version, like, I just need more than that to justify it. So, and then also. Uh, when Richard Jenkins pours acid on his face, mm-hmm. um, the makeup is like more laughable to me, uh, especially because I guess it's more realistic. Because in the Swedish version, you know, there's like he's like Harvey Dent, like holes in his face and stuff, which is I think a bit extreme for acid. But maybe I, I'm not an expert on acid burning flesh, but I figured <laughs> why don't you become one, Brad? <laughs> Richard Jenkins one like they melt his entire face, which I guess as a glop it would all fuse together like that right but his eyes are fine and i feel like why or is it his eyes well how do they avoid the acid they should actually pull the acid because it would puddle it, in the is it socket. is it a r-rated film yeah i think so then yeah that there's no reason why you can't do that i don't know well i mean theatrically it's so you can see richard jenkins perform 
in the makeup, but like realistically, it's like I don't mm. know why his eyes are fine. Right. The rest of his face is all fucked up. Yeah, um, there's ways to get around that makeup. The, I was telling you earlier, but uh, one of my friends I went to film school with is uh, one of the kids in that gas outside that gas station before he like kills him and feeds him to the kid. Yeah, yeah. Name's Dean. Really nice guy. And then, uh, so Snake out of Compton. I talked about last week is something you should go see. Okay. And screw everybody. You didn't, you didn't come see it. So. I, yeah. I yeah. Have, I don't have an excuse. How dare you? I don't have an excuse. You missed a really funny movie. Damn it. Um, Fuck. Snake Out of Compton is about uh, some kids in Compton. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is an Urkel ripoff nerd <laughs> who is obsessed with snakes. And he, <laughs> he, um, uh, honey, I, Shrunk the kid in reverse. Mm-hmm. This is with his little shrinking cannon. Uh, grows a giant snake uh-huh. that he finds, and it starts to terrorize Compton. <laughs> um, and at the same time, uh, his buddies or his roommates are trying to land a recording deal. <laughs> um, yes. And uh, so once the snake breaks out, they have to stop the snake and also make it to the audition. Uh, it's like get him to the Greek with a monster yeah, without any of the friends dying um, and you know, saving the town. Um, it, it's what makes it like what's impressive is on the budget they have the CGI of the snake isn't great, but it's still really good for the level the the, the movie is. Um, it's shot really creatively and stuff. Um, the actors are really funny, um, and the humor like it knows it's not great. Yeah, like it, it's it, it knows what his budget is, so it, it pokes fun at a lot of things, at all, but also itself. Um, and right out of the gate, uh, the the like the when this film really starts to kick into gear, like there's a party scene first where you kind of meet everybody, but then kind I guess like a white rapper shows up uh, to the party and like instigates a fight, um, and then the the argument devolves into like tax calculation. <laughs> Or how you uh, <laughs> process uh, numbers or something for a transaction. Um, uh, so it gets really like technically co- uh, complicated, like in their dialogue. And that's, <laughs> um, you're know, like, okay, it, it it knows it's not a serious snake movie, right? Um, and then uh, yeah, so they just they have to track down the snake, and you know, at one point these like F fourteen F sixteen jets fly in and like shoot missiles at the snake. And you're like, wow, they really like whoever's doing the CGI on this is. Uh, you know they're they're invested in this movie because it doesn't look that right. it bad. doesn't look half-assed. Um, and, and then it, it seems like its humor is playing into it in into the movie for the for the in favor of it, and rather than like yeah, because you can be aware of making a bad movie but still make Sharknado Five. <laughs> yeah, there's a rap battle in a strip club. Um, there's also these side characters, a uh, detective and a detective in training. Uh, but it's played as training day. So the one guy's <laughs> doing his best Denzel Washington impression. Um, and, uh, yeah. And uh, at the premiere, I got the director and producers and writer to sign the DVD. Uh, they didn't bring any DVDs, so I just bought the one that they brought, and I got them to sign it. So that was pretty cool. Sweet. Awesome. And, and the premiere's fun. They had uh, Blonium do a few songs out of the, the screening. They had the step and repeat banner, so you get to take photos. They threw snakes in the audience, and so... Yeah, missed a good time. One of the guys uh, started following me on Instagram, so I don't know if you looked at the podcast stuff or not. But uh, and yeah, we might have them appear on the show sometime to promote Sweet. it. So we well then that would explain that follow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to a, to a point. 
Uh, and the last thing I saw was three movies be- at the Denver Film Festival. Oh, so it wasn't the last thing you saw. It was the third to last thing you saw. Anyway, well, was, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'll go backwards. Uh, so there was the movie called Hell is Where the Home Is. Okay. Um, it's kind of a home invasion movie. Uh, it's about this couple. They go to this house, which is kind of very similar to the house from Revenge, which I don't think you've seen, but Ryan Not did. So no. I was hoping it was it's on Shutter, I believe, though. Yeah. Um, so they go to this house. It, it seems like they're for a weekend getaway. They're waiting for their but the the other couple to show up because they're going to spend the weekend together. Uh-huh. Um, but the movie starts out with this couple. It's night. They're getting pulled out of a, car, a trunk on the side of the road by, I, I guess, like a Mexican cartel. Okay. That couple gets executed. Um, and then as this weekend getaway is going on, they cut away to outside and these same assassins are like slowly approaching, you know, they're in their car and then they're outside the window and um, there's some drama going on between the two couples. Like one, the guy cheated on with the other, cheated with the other couple's wife. Is, is this Cartel Land meets The Strangers? I don't know what one of those movies is. Well, Cartel Land's a documentary about the cartels in Mexico. Um, I can I'm, deduce that. I don't know. It just sounds like The Strangers but with cartels. <laughs> yeah, so while they're doing that drama, um, this woman who claims to be a neighbor shows up. Uh-huh. Um, and that makes them su- suspicious. Um, um, and so they let her use the phone to call a tow truck because her car broke down. Or, that's her story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she overstays her welcome, I guess, is the way to put it. And they get into a fight. And she slips and impales her eye on a tequila bottle? Some alcohol bottle? Wow. (laughs) Um, It's a really goofy, like, implausible, like... uh, My review of this movie is that a lot of it seems like the director had ideas and they just filmed them. Okay. um, Because he thought they were cool. Um, One of the the guys in the couples, like plays peak abusive boyfriend like Mm. and there's you know once the the accidental death happens he flips out and they've been doing cocaine throughout the weekend (laughs) okay he suddenly has a gun um and he starts waving around and he's like threatening to kill everyone else in the room if they don't help him dispose of the body and like he just gets like really insulting and abusive um and then everyone else, despite him like putting the gun down, um, you know, away from himself, no one tries to stop him at that. Like, there's so many opportunities for them to get the upper hand, and they just sit there like, "What do we do? Let's let let's let him cool off." You know, uh, clearly this guy, like, as soon as this guy threatens you, like, points the gun in your face, like, all bets are off. Like, you don't give him a chance at, like anymore. But they do. Um, I don't know. This sounds too similar to that uh, Dark Forest movie that I saw earlier this year. Yeah. Where it's like, I, I mean, like I love the notion of using, where, I mean, like it's a, it's, a, it's a character that's unfortunately all too relevant today, which is like you've got to, I mean, I'm sorry, the scariest thing right now is an, ang- is an angry, abusive person who's in a relationship because that has so many connotations, but you've, you've got to toe that line correctly, do it correctly so that he is actually menacing and not just a caricature. Um, so yeah, I don't know. This sounds, this sounds like a caricature and not a menacing force. Yeah. And then the cops show up and then one of them is, uh, um, 
Oh, what's his name from 24? Anyway, um, you know, they, they start to question the couple, and they're they're lying about their story, but photographs of the party are sitting on the table right in front of the cop, and so he's like, they're clearly lying. Mm-hmm. Then you find out the cop's in on it, um, and, uh, you know, the arrangement of this house, it's like... Anyway, he's looking for this photo of them committing one of their... Like, I assume assassinating the other couple, which I don't know who photographed that right? Um, to begin with. Um, presumably the people who live there, because they say the people they're renting from are well, you know, photographers. You know the cartel has a daily photographer. It's it's for their scrapbook. Yeah, it's freelance. Um, <laughs> freelance gig. Um, That's what you got to do, Brad. <laughs> but anyway, so finally the last surviving member of this group takes him to the photo which is the first thing she saw when she came in the house it's they have a dark room uh, it's been developing i thought there was one already doing that but she does a new one um and then i was like i i didn't understand that there's a how developing solution work i thought it was just water like you put the photo in water no it's a chemical it's a chemical yeah so but i didn't understand that so when she throws the whole tray of liquid in the cop's face and he's like oh i can't see it's it's pretty funny if you just think it's water. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you wait? Did you not take photography in high school? <laughs> I didn't take like film photography. So. Oh, I I did. And every That's movie what... I've ever seen hasn't said like here's a special solution. Yeah, that... no, no, yeah, no. I, I never mind then. Like I I did, and that yeah, you had yeah. to wear like gloves and shit. It was it was weird. <laughs> yeah, and then she can. It's finally, great though. <laughs> yeah, and then she f- is able to finally take him down. But it's just like yeah, too much stuff of like, you know there was a way out there's a way to solve this and no one does it and it's just like i'm sitting in my seat like cringing like just do this just do just give him that answer like why are you prolonging like why are you Ugh. anyway it's probably too long about that one um <laughs> the other uh the middle one i saw was a movie called cam which is by some boulder filmmakers mm-hmm. um locally um that's about a cam girl who she lives to get on her program every night and try to improve her ranking on the cam girl site. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, currently she's like on her, she's close to 50 and once you're in the top 50, great things happen for you. Um, so she finally hits 50 and then like, I think the next morning she's on her cam, but she's not like you can watch her, but she's not actually in the show. So someone has stolen her identity somehow mm-hmm. and she doesn't understand why. So she just goes on this journey of figuring out like, how is this even possible? Like this girl looks exactly like me. Um, but I'm here. I'm not doing that show right now. Right. Um, I can't get back in my account. Someone has stolen all my information. My password's changed. Like the company won't help me. Um, and now, you know, I didn't want my mom to find out about it. And now people are watching me, you know, there's the streaming of my show that I was not on when she could see it. Right. So, uh, she has to deal with the blowback from that hmm. embarrassment. Um, and uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, it's creatively shot. Um, uh, You'd say it's told... like, like a mystery film. Yeah, it, it's, okay. it's 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 a it's a who done it. Um, it doesn't explain exactly how done it. So <laughs> <laughs> I love that term. <laughs> how done it? <laughs> yeah, like the finale is like she finally realizes that the person impersonating her can't recognize her on the other end because. Eventually, she finds out that one of her clients, there's like two ways to do a cam thing where it's like you just uh, like chat, 
chat mm-hmm. room so it's just text mm-hmm. but there's also like the the you know you can send yourself as a video chat instead of just text back mm-hmm. so one of her clients is doing that with her show so just, and when she finds out that that's a thing she turns a mirror on herself like behind herself and then video chats with the person impersonating her so there's, there's like that loop kind of like ray in yeah. the last jedi yeah going on um and then you know she starts telling the person impersonating her to do things and if they, like they play a game of like okay if you can do what i tell you um i'll donate whatever credits to your thing to make your ranking go up yeah um and so she tries like does things that like try to prove that she is who she is anyway but um that's it's a clever sequence uh, you just have to see it to Mm. really understand it sounds interesting i would like to check it out yeah uh but they don't explain like how the identity was like i was i just assume that it's a computer it'd algorithm be, that's like <laughs> it'd be interesting to watch it and see if i if i walk out of it going like no man you don't get it it's a thematic about yeah. life um <laughs> uh, but yeah it just deals a lot with like stolen identity and but uh, no yeah sounds interesting and um good for those bolder filmmakers um and then the last thing i saw which was the best thing um that i saw it's called the best thing list, is The Upside, where Brian Cranston plays a paraplegic and um, Kevin Hart um, gets hired to help him, um, not just as a physical therapist, but as... Life coach. Yeah. So This is a remake of a French film called The Intouchables, which is a very good film. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, sorry, continue. (laughs) They've been saying they were going to remake this film for years, too, so I'm amazed it finally got made. I thought it was original. Um, Well, I mean, it... In the movie, they say it's based on a real life thing. Yeah, it is. So but they, I just assume that these characters were the actual characters, but clearly they've no, they are. But like the the the, the story was already told in film form in French, and then that's how it got attracted to the U.S. audience and market. Right. I thought there was an American thing. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, go on. Uh, originally, um, but yeah, it's great. Like, um, it, uh, if I cared about such things as best supporting actor nominations and mm-hmm. wins, um, I can see Kevin Hart. Really doing, doing just that because, um, I mean, everyone in the movie is really great. Um, Nicole Kidman's in it. Is he restrained? Is he restrained in the film? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'd say it's probably the best script he's had to work with. Probably. Um, Does he put on a chicken suit? (laughs) No. Okay. Um, but it's really cool to see, um, like he plays. So Brian Cranston is this, uh super rich guy who got wealthy by um you know helping companies like find out what they're good at in expanding that business Mm -hmm. um kevin hart is an ex-con who um has screwed up his life his son and uh, girlfriend don't want anything to do with him um he has to go uh as part of his parole he has to get three signatures that shows he's looking for a job so he finds a janitorial job it's well it's listed as a janitorial job but it's actually like i forget what it's called uh there's a like professional term but basically he's he's a live-in assistant for brian cranston so he has to like feed him and clothe him and bathe him right uh, because he got injured in a paragliding accident um and he wanted to die at that point yeah he did not want to like his assistant played by nicole kidman you know, saw a chance to save his life and she took it. Um, and he would have rather have died. So he's really depressed. Um, and it's a little unclear. I can't tell if his wife died with him in the fall, mm-hmm. 
but she, they also say she had cancer um, at some point. And there's a line of dialogue that like he feels guilty about, or he made a joke, which I think like when he was revived, but she was dead. They're like, Hey, you don't have to worry about the cancer anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause she died in the fall. Right. Um, and also like, there's more hang gliding in the movie that like helps him get through it. So I think it has actually tied to her falling out of the sky mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but yeah, so uh, Kevin Hart being this, like he goes and tries to get the signatures and uh, Brian Cranston likes him because he expects him to fail because he wants to die. Right. <laughs> he thinks if he screws it up, he'll be able to die. Right. Um, but Kevin Hart actually does improve his life, like mm-hmm. makes him see like what's um, valuable. And then also by having access to this world of wealth, um, you know, Kevin Hart becomes like he loves opera uh, and he becomes a painter. Um, anyway, the, the, the jokes are really funny. Like it's, it's a really morbid sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but it's also like really uplifting of how Kevin Hart turns his life around, especially when he gets into painting. Like that's a really entertaining thing. And then also, you know, Brian Cranston's frustrated because, you know, he has all these feelings and only his head works. So he has no way, no outlet um, for him. So like even Kevin Hart has to like break stuff for him um, so he can feel something. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really great. Right. Um, that's good. But yeah, now there's another version. I want to check that out. So yeah, no, um, yeah, it it uh, it actually did really well uh, at the theater that I worked at. Like we had it at th- we had it there for like three four months, which was a, a decent long period. <laughs> yeah, um, cool. Well, I can't wait for it to come out. Uh, what studio did it? Um, like a Paramount or seems like right Lionsgate. Up. Really? Oh, wow. Uh, no, dang. There, it's the Denver Film Festival, so there's so many credits and trailers and things going on. For I, sure, like, I don't remember. Because I'd be curious to see when it's going to come out to our 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 side of the uh, the world, the real world. Actually, I probably think actually, uh, Snakes Out of Compton was uh, Lionsgate, oh. <laughs> or not? Okay. Um. So yeah. Okay. Cool. I'll look it up while we jump into the main review. Awesome. Uh, this week we <laughs> saw Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh. Zach, should people go see Bohemian Rhapsody? Um, I wouldn't not watch it. Um, I think this movie is actually very entertaining, uh, fun to watch. However, I have problems with it, um, and I, I don't know if they're relevant given the obviously given the fact that it's made some money this weekend, but also in terms of people who just want to have a good time at the movies because I'll always say go watch anything even if it's something I don't like um, but there are problems with the film Rami Malek certainly not one of those problems he is fantastic in this film um, but we'll get into it in the review um, yeah, I have some thoughts um, but yeah Brad should people go see Bohemian Rhapsody uh, I think so um, not a home run for me uh, yeah it's it's very entertaining but it's also very by the numbers um, mm-hmm. um, how's I going to put this uh, you know, when you, when you watch a movie about how did people become something, mm-hmm. um, this movie is very much like more of a name drop, like, Hey, this thing you remember, about, remember about queen? Well, just here it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much like 
how did that like how did they get inspired by something how does that make you feel how, like what was the what was the emotional impetus behind that moment yeah like you know? uh like it's in the trailer um you know one of the band members i think brian may wants to do the, the, the we will rock you song for the audience like um so they show how they do it but they don't really show like what is like he just says he was inspired because he wants to give uh um maybe that's not the best example early on like you know you should know, we get into the trailer huh should we do the trailer well I, i'm trying to okay oh, okay point. all right i'm sorry oh no i'm sorry um it's not really good at it because i'm thinking about two things um you know like like Freddie Mercury will be writing lyrics mm-hmm. but there's out of nowhere like, right. There's not really like a scene that leads up to like, oh, well, this inspired this song or, uh, you know, uh, this vision or something like the whole Bohemian Rhapsody song, too. is just like, you know, characters are just saying they want like I want to just do opera, but there's no like background of like why he enjoys opera or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's stuff like that, that I feel like is missing where it's just like here we are at this point here we are at this point and this happened and this happened. Uh, but the climax is great. Um, although a little long, um, so uh, yeah, I, I'd say it's worth a watch, but I don't know if it's like one of the best biopics I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So I guess here's the trailer for Bohemian Rhapsody. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? I enjoyed the show. I also write songs. Our lead singer just quit. Then you'll need someone new. I love the way you move on stage. The whole room belongs to you. Don't you see what you could be? No one will play us on the radio. We need to get experimental. Do it again. One more. How many more Galileos do you want? Roger, there's only room in this band for one hysterical queen. Mark these words. No one will play a queen. Fortune favours the bold. Freddie, concerning your private life. What more do you need to know? I make music. I want to give the audience a song that they can perform. What's the lyric? Ready, Freddy? Let's do it. You need to slow down, Fred. I just need a bit of time. What if I don't have time? We're all legends. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with you on that thing. Um, yeah, for for a movie that seems like it should have a lot of conflict, 
it seems like there isn't a lot of conflict. <laughs> there should have a lot more. Should conflict and a lot of other things. Um, Little Gold Men um, is a podcast by Vanity Fair that does some great work, and uh, they saw this film weeks ago. And the best way they described it without spoiling anything was that it was basically walk hard the Dewey Cox story if it was taken seriously, um, which is not unfair because this. And they also said this film ex, uh, acts as if though no other biopic has ever been made ever, and that that is very very true. Well, in I this thought film. it was interesting. Uh, so Brian Singer got credit for directing, mm-hmm. and I only saw that title card. Right. Uh, but he clearly got fired. Yeah, that's another else, issue. <laughs> someone else finished this. Dexter Fletcher, the director of Eddie and the Eagle. Yeah, so I'm not sure. We'll never know what the difference is between those two visions. I, I heard they only had like a couple weeks left, though, so I don't think it's anything too drastic. Yeah, but I mean, even the, in the editing process, like a movie changes. So that's that's where the change is evident. He's the one over the editor's shoulder. Yeah, and since Brian's not there, I don't know who's cutting this film, if it's Dexter Fletcher or if it's the studio. Yeah. I've seen Eddie the Eagle and Dexter Fletcher knows how to make a good movie. The this is I feel like this film was there was a lot of time taken to make sure that it was a safe hit. Um and I see and this is just my opinion, I see Fox's hands all over this print. And but I also see two other sets of handprints, and it's Brian May and the other band member who were executive consultants. Clearly, this story is about Queen and not Freddie Mercury, which is fine. I have no problem with that. Well, but you—it you, is both because, like Freddie Mercury's story, fills the hour it, and a half. It, it dominates the film, but, but it gives credit to everybody. Yeah, not only that though, it paints a very glossy picture of everybody but Freddie, and yeah. I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't. I'm not a big rock and roll history guy, so bear with me. The victors write the history. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I can't imagine that those other three guys were as safe or uh, <clears throat> square as they bring themselves off to be. Like the whole like Freddie inviting, I think it's Brian May out to uh, to to have dinner, and he's like, "Well, I've got a family." I'm like. I don't know. Like, I mean, sure, you've got a family, but, like, you're rock and roll group, guys. Like, I'm I'm sorry. Like, there's no way Queen, like, all members of Queen were the straight-latest persons, people in the world and whatnot. Like, I, and it's nothing against them. Like, I'm not trying to, like, say that the other members of Queen are, like, fudging history because, I, again, I don't know the full extent. But I have a sneaking suspicion and I have an itch in my back that says that something's up. And I'm sure if I were to listen to... Anybody else who loves Queen talk about it, I'm sure they would tell me there's issues with the timeline or the uh, the the way certain events play out. Like, I know for a fact that Freddie's whole I've got AIDS um, scene uh, is inaccurate because he didn't find out he had AIDS until after um, the that concert at the end. Yeah, I, so, I, I heard that too, but I can also see that maybe it's just... Uh... Maybe. It's a framing device. I get it. He might have, or a dramatic, dramatic moment. He might have known earlier, but only like made it public later after the show, and that's what maybe people are getting wrong is because they heard it after the show. So I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not a history expert, um, but <laughs> but that was a great scene though when he does confess. Uh, oh, it's, to his it, band. like it's, I almost cried on that one. Cause... It's one of the best written scenes in the film. My issue with the film ultimately is that it's just like all the parts are all the things are there to make it fantastic. 
and they all kind of drop one by one, whether it's Singer leaving. Like, I'm not I'm not going to give Singer any defense here, but you can't deny he's a very talented director, and he's made very good films. Um, I mean, he, the X-Men, I mean, X-Men movies aside, like, Valkyrie's a very good film. Uh, Apt Pupil is a scary as shit film. Uh, Usual Suspects, like, you know, we, we still talk about it. Um, I don't think it's super great, but whatever. And the issue that I have with ultimately is is like why am I not getting an emotional sense out of Freddy's struggle like I mean I I, I know he's suffering I see it on screen I know he's suffering but I'm not feeling that he's suffering all I'm seeing is basically if I took the whole film cropped it in 4-3 put a black and white veneer over it I would have a 1940s musical biopic and it would be winning 10 Oscars at the Academy Awards in 1945 um, but it, we've seen so much better in the terms of biopics, uh, especially over the past 20 years where you can get dynamic with it. Like the aviator is a great film about Howard Hughes that explicitly tells you, you shouldn't like this guy through a visual and thematic arc sense. This film tells me that I should feel bad for, for Freddie Mercury, but it doesn't like get into the, to the nitty gritty of like, where's my empathy for him? All I can tell is that he's a nice guy, then he's a dick, and then he's a nice guy again. Yeah, well, I also think like uh, really good music biopics actually tie the songs that people love mm-hmm. to the theme of the movie. This one is like they play their catalog throughout at various points. It's a jukebox. It's a jukebox, and they never really like you know. It's it's not like I never get the sense that Bohemian Rhapsody really like defines uh, any struggle in like. In the movie, they kind of claim it's just like, oh, it's just a song with a bunch of like random words. But and, even if that's the case, yeah. and by the way, uh, including Mike Myers as the executive, oh, we'll talk that about that. Song, Let's talk about that in a second, um, please. <laughs> is clever um, <laughs> and fun. Um, I I think he's fine. I think he's good. It's a good cameo. I'll say that. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, it took me a couple minutes to get to it, but yeah, but yeah, if 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 there's something about their songs that like tied more into the various uh, points in Queen's career, mm-hmm. um, you know why those what those songs got inspired from? It's really in the movie, it's just portrayed as like Freddie Mercury had a good idea and he wrote it down. Yeah, it's never like where did that come from? Like what drove that uh, that for him? And there's also like hints of Freddie's family life, which suggest struggles and issues, but like they barely pay off. And I don't feel that the final moment with his father is expressly earned so much as it's just kind of granted out of like necessity. Yeah. Um. I mean, like, I, I honestly like since the movie's it's pretty long. It's about two. It's a two hour and fifteen minute film. I forgot. I completely forgot at the beginning about his whole like good deeds, good good intentions thing and whatnot. I'm like, sorry, you should have been like having the family struggle be a be an overwhelming element in the film yeah he didn't really the thing is he didn't really do anything terrible no he didn't he was just being leading himself. up to that point he, yeah and if you and and if that's the case okay then build on the tradition of his family and whatnot tell me something about freddie mercury that i didn't know i did not know half that stuff about him and his family yeah uh, i didn't know he was i just married knew i just knew he was a rock and roller early on yeah um i didn't know he fired like his band manager yeah um uh, over some shade i didn't know his i guess lover was you know <laughs> Yeah, coming between him and the band and stuff. Like I never knew about that stuff. Yeah, I mean, and the, I mean, and the thing is, is that like everyone's doing a fine job. It's just that the, the 
the cosmos aren't aligned for some reason. I don't know. It's just it's nothing's working the way it should to make this dynamic and unique. And I got to be honest, like it's 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 really milk toast, and it has a hard time handling. There's one good scene handling Freddy in terms of his sexuality, and it's the scene with him and his wife talking, because she has a great line about like I'm angry. And I can't, and, and I'm, and you're not even the person I'm angry with because it's not your fault. I think that's a good moment. However, the film as a whole has a very hard time of coming to terms with something I don't think it wants to talk about, which is the fact that Freddie's not heterosexual. But on a meta level, that's also his problem: is he has a hard time communicating. Yeah, that's like true. It, like what he's dealing with, so. Mm-hmm. I guess on that, if you look at it like that, it's like almost mirroring. Yeah, and again, not a music expert. I don't know how. I don't know every single thing about Freddie Mercury, so I could not tell you. What I will say though is that, as much as I wouldn't say, like I don't know how I still still don't know how I'd feel about this, but there was an article this week about Sasha Baron Cohen finally opening up about the movie he was going to do um, as Freddie Mercury, and sorry, it sounds more interesting than the one we got. Um, that being said, all the criticisms aside, I can't deny this. I could watch it again. I could easily watch it again. Yeah, the the, the finale, which it was just it, basically a recreation of Live Aid. You know I mean? Yeah, like in real time. Yeah. Like, although I want to look up because I thought when they were pitching it in the in the when they band comes back together is something they need to do is being like every artist gets two minutes, and they clearly went on for like six or seven minutes on I, their set. And I, I wonder if they were like, you know, thumb their nose at the. And that's why the performance was so awesome. Fuck you, you two. Yeah. Also, my dad, my dad and I were. So I took my dad to see this, which he liked the film, and that also gives me some points because I'm like, I like it when my dad likes things. I really do. Um, so like, I'd rewatch this again just based on my dad's enthusiasm too. Um, but he and I did chuckle and like roll our eyes at the fact that the implication. My dad's learned how to read film, and he brought up. He's like. By the way, Queen's not the one who made Live Aid a lot of money. And I was like, are you talking about the fact that the guy who was giving the advertisement for it is looking at the numbers for Live Aid just as Queen is on? And he's like, yeah, man, like you too was there. I'm sure they were helping out just fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I looked at the Live Aid uh, concert list and, and there's there's so oh, many artists that, yeah. Yeah, you, you mean if, if a palm went off, there goes the but music forever. It. Yeah, we don't need, like that's extra information, like, this movie needs to stay on topic. I think the end is triumphant. It's, it needs it. Like It is, but that's a weird like implication. They need to break through the sky, as he said. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't realize we we're going to watch it in real time. <laughs> which is which is an awesome notion. Yeah, but it's weird when they cut back to like his wife and his new boyfriend or his friend. Um, oh, yeah, the way. Oh, that was a good scene, just too. Just to break up the scene. Oh. So they almost cut back too much. Oh, yeah, yeah. To yeah. their reactions. Yeah, those are those. That, that is like we've got this footage and we need to use it to fill out this time. But, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't break away from the performance that much. I mean, I, I think the reaction should be. Uh, maybe in between scenes or songs, and even then, maybe not. Like from an editing standpoint, if you're gonna go down the route of recreating Live Aid, do it all in full. Focus on Freddie. Focus on Brian. Focus on the band. I would say just put the camera in more creative places. Like the best shot is probably when it goes under the pedals and through him and into Brian's guitar. 
Yes, yes, yes. Like that's, that's a great a, shot. That's a great way to shoot it. Um, but everything else is pretty much like either the audience perspective or maybe a little higher up on the stage. Um, Basically doing a visual twist on what you would have seen on Live Aid on the television screen. Show us what we couldn't see. Like if we'd been there mm-hmm. or, saw, or watched on TV, like show us the other angles that we wouldn't see. That would have been cool to kind of do like POV from the audience perspective a little bit more like I, they kind of do it a little bit but it's like too yeah, static they, they fly the camera into like the base of the stage but that's basically the audience's perspective yeah but if you like have like let's say like three or four cameras like placed like in key positions at near the front row and whatnot you could get their perspective of like seeing freddie mercury like bigger than life yeah like again or I, from the drum like there's a shot of like his face in the the lacquer of the piano which is really nice mm-hmm. uh, as he's playing the song oh, yeah like i said the, the under the pedals is something i haven't seen before um like flying through there um yeah so there's creative stuff like yeah you could put the camera like from the drums or something or um i don't know yeah no again like and uh but also the another great scene is i don't remember his name but the oh, sorry uh, actually the one where uh, the cameraman's on him and he's singing right into the camera and like moving the camera guy with him yeah, yeah, yeah. like that that's another creative one so yeah but i mean it's you know six or seven minutes is a long time to I mean, it's supposed find to creative it, opportunities. So yeah. I, I don't, I guess I don't blame. And it's trying to condense 20 ish minutes, um, of, of a performance kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but no, the scene that I was going to say, like, it's a great moment is, uh, uh, that, that, that man that he's with at the end. Um, there's a scene before that with, uh, like minutes before that, or like a couple, like maybe an hour before it, where he meets that man at a party because that man's, uh, waiting uh, waiting on uh, party guests and they have a conversation about uh, like their lives and whatnot and like like they're, and like just basically what their like their views are on like relationships friendships the world and stuff and uh, he's like I, re- I like you and uh, the guy says I like you too Freddie call me when you learn to like you and I was just like ah this is this is what I want the movie to be and it doesn't do that all the time which sucks um, and and uh, because it's like it's a great it's a great sentiment, um, but we haven't even talked. Like we, I mean, Rami Malek saves this movie hands down. He saves whatever quarrels I have with it. His performance saves it for me. Um, I don't know. Like I mean, I'm not going to necessarily play the Oscar game here. However, I'd like to see him acknowledged at the Oscars alone for. Up, uplifting this otherwise mediocre-ish approach, um, and I know that's not everybody else's fault involved. I just I'm aware of what the final product is. So, but I'd go see it again. Probably not in the theater though. I, I'll probably wait till Blu-ray or something or Netflix. Um, it's funny because it reminds me of that film Notorious, uh, the big the Biggie Smalls biopic. Uh, which I, I I liked it when I when it came out, but then I've rewatched it since, and it's not the best thing in the world, but it's kind of like you know what, it's entertaining enough, and that's all I needed. Um, whereas something like Straight Outta Compton is like an epic grand scale, knows exactly how to do this kind of thing. So, yeah. What do you mean Rhapsody? Check it out. Cool. What are we seeing next week? I'm looking it up. Okay. Brad Dundee I think I think we're gonna see the girl in the spider's web. Ooh, uh, the new film from uh, Fetty Alvarez. Um, I think there's a couple other movies that week, so I, Brian will probably. I I I put it on the list because I he was uh, he liked the uh, the first one so much. Um, but well, it's also the director of Don't Breathe and uh, Evil Dead remakes. So. Yeah, but 
but I don't. Uh, he hasn't expressed uh, public interest uh, in his choice. But I'm going to assume that's the one. Okay, cool. So next week is the girl in the spider's web. Um, uh, the first one, God, we reviewed in, in like the first volume of the show. I know. It took that long so to long get ago. another Lisbeth Slander um, adventure. I wouldn't call them adventures. I mean, you could always watch mysterious the, chilling <laughs> tale. <laughs> if you needed more, you could have always watched the movies that these are based on. So, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, the ones with um, Numi Rapace. I, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but Numi. Yeah. Uh, those are great films. Um, well, at least now, first one is second and third are fine. They're fine. I could rewatch them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's it for now. All right, cool. Well, until next week, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.